All right, so you can open up your Bible to John 6. It's the last gospel, and I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 25 down to 35. And it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that, you may, that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jay Will. Would like to submit my formal request that someone else introduce me next time. <laughs> Want to go ahead and say that on the record, that that is my request. Uh, seriously, it is a blessing to be able to be here with you all uh, this morning and get into the Word. We're going to be continuing in John chapter 6. We're going to focus uh, most of our time on verse 35 uh, this morning. You likely already have your Bibles uh, turned to that. I will say this in the vein of what J. Will was already saying. Uh, in the church that I preach in, generally speaking, uh, preaching is not seen as a spectator sport. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Generally, generally, when I preach, there's a little bit of a back and forth. What I generally say, if, you know, if you feel it, Go and give an amen when you hear it. That'll help me out a little bit. And I will feel, thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, so we're going to be going to John chapter 6. Again, as Jay Will said, I'm Ant. I get the privilege of serving as pastor at Midtown Two Notch. You guys have been supporting us so graciously and so generously for years since we uh, initially got started. You, you guys, I think, were actually the only church that reached out to me and asked if you guys could support us. Usually it works the other way around. I reach out to people and ask, would you be open to support? You guys actually reached out to me, and you guys have been an extreme blessing to myself, personally, to my family, and to uh, our church. So I greatly appreciate uh, all of the blessings that we've experienced because of y'all's uh, generosity towards us. Before we get into verse 35 in John chapter 6, I want to start our time off just asking a couple questions, a few questions I should say, uh, to help us get in the, in the right frame of mind to deal with what Jesus is going to say to us today. I want to start by asking you a few rhetorical questions. How would you finish this sentence? I'd be satisfied if I had blank. I'd be satisfied if I had blank. I'd be good if I just had blank. I mean, I don't need a million dollars or anything like that. But if I just had this thing, then I'd be good. What's the thing that people that you know have, or maybe you see them on social media, or you see them however, however you see them, and they have something that you wish that you had, and so your thought is often, man, they don't know how good they have it, because if, if I had that, I'd be good. 
I'd be okay. I'd be content. I mean, I don't need a mansion or anything, but if I just had this, what do you find yourself fantasizing and dreaming about the most? If you strip down to the essentials that were necessary for you to feel like you were doing okay, for you to feel like you had enough, what would you say you needed? I've heard Dr. Sinclair Ferguson say on a number of occasions, what do you think about when you have nothing to think about? I find questions like these to be very helpful to get straight to our hearts, to show us what we truly believe actually matters, what we truly believe satisfies us. Verse 35 in John chapter 6 reads like this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. That's what we're going to be focusing our time and attention today. What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the bread of life? What does it mean to have faith that Jesus is telling the truth when he says that he is the bread of life. Continuing on in that verse, he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For the people that lived in this area, bread was, as far as history tells us, an essential part of their diet. It was very consistently present at family meals. It it was so present that, that many would say that they probably couldn't even imagine what it would be like to live and be sustained without having bread. Bread was crucial for them. As Jesus often does in his teaching ministry, he takes something tangible that they're familiar with to explain to them something very deep, very spiritual about our souls that they did not previously understand. He's letting them know that if they truly want to live, if they truly want to be alive and not just exist, if they really want to have sustenance for their soul, if they want their heart and their soul to prosper in the way that they were designed, there's only one place to find it. It's him He is the bread of life. He goes on to say that those who come and believe in him will no longer hunger or thirst. Those two appetites, hunger and thirst in the Bible, are often used to refer to deep longings of our souls. Needs that we have on a deep soul level. Jesus is saying those who come to him will never hunger, or whoever believes in me shall never, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying people are satisfied when they come to me that he is the bread of life, that he, can, he is the only one that can truly satisfy on this deep soul level, the deepest desires that we have. If we want them to be satisfied, we need him. He's saying he is the bread of life. We see another example of this in Psalm chapter 42 when we talk about these appetites that we have. In Psalm 42, 1 through 2, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. It says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Animals oftentimes pant for one of two reasons. One reason is they're extremely excited about something, or another reason is they are exhausted and they're very thirsty, so they're panting. So whether this deer is panting because it's excited, because it's found the water that it needs, or it's panting because it's exhausted and thirsty and in need of a drink, the point is the same. Our souls, on a deep, deep level, crave and thirst for the living God. As Christians, nothing should excite us more than having God, than having God and being with him. Our souls pant and long for more of God. But because of our sinful nature, our desires are distorted. We start looking to other things. But Jesus is very clear, and I need to make this point. He says, I am the bread of life. 
He doesn't say, I'm a bread of life. He's not one in a list of many. This is a very exclusive claim. He's saying there is something that is true about me that you need to understand that is not true of anyone or anything else. I am the bread of life. I'm it. There's no other options, Jesus is saying. For the deepest satisfaction of the soul, the deepest fulfillment of our souls, he's saying, I am it. You have no other options. And in our sin, we have a tendency to believe the lies that the enemy tells us that other things are the bread of life. We don't actually believe this statement that Jesus just made about himself. We oftentimes believe that money or possessions are the bread of life. Man, if I just had more money, I'd be straight. I'd be okay. So many in our world think that they'd truly be more content if they had a nicer car, a nicer house, or whatever it is, bigger and nicer, whatever it is. Even though so many people who have made millions of dollars tell us over and over that that doesn't actually satisfy us. One quote that I like to use is by Jim Carrey, a comedian and actor who's made millions upon millions of dollars doing movies. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so, that, so they can see that it's not the answer. From everything I can tell, he's not a follower of Jesus. He's saying, I've got here, I did it, I accomplished my goals. It's not the answer. I grew up loving hip-hop music most of my life. And one of the things I always know is that hip-hop always, talk, always glorified having more money, having more possessions, having this type of car, having this type of house, having all these things. If you're familiar with an artist named J. Cole, known for just being very real and honest about difficulties in his life, he has a song called Love Yours. He talks about how no matter how much he gets, no matter how well he performs, no matter how much money he makes, it's never what he thought that it would be. He even goes as far in that song to say that I think being broke was better, he says. He says, I think being broke was better. J. Cole has released five albums so far. All of them have gone platinum. All of them have hit number one on the charts in the U.S. He has an estimated net worth of $60 million. And he says, I think it was better for me when I was broke. I know most of us would say we'd be okay with a lot less than $60 million, but his whole point... <laughs> is that every time he gets a little bit more, if you listen to the song, I can't, you know, I can't say all the lyrics of the song, but if you listen to the song, he goes on to show that every time I get the thing that I thought was gonna be it, I always wanted more. It was never enough, he's saying. He's saying it's never enough. He actually makes the point that you need to learn to be content without all of those things. He does a good job of raising the problem, but he doesn't give the solution. The solution is that Jesus is actually the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. For some of us, we believe money is the bread of life, but not from a possession standpoint, but more because of the, the illusion of control that money gives us. Some of us, we believe that money is the bread of life because we feel like it gives us, it's our shield, it's our refuge, it's our fortress, it's our security. So we put our trust in it more than we trust in God. And so we believe we'll be satisfied if we just have more because then we'll finally feel secure. And then something like a recession hits, or maybe a pandemic hits, and we realize that money was never actually sufficient to be the bread of life. It was never actually sufficient. It was never actually enough to be everything that we desired for it to be. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life. Because Jesus is the bread of life. For many of us, we think the fulfillment of romantic or sexual relationships is the bread of life. We think if we just had this type of relationship or, or with this person or with that person, then we'd really be content, right? 
If I had the type of relationship that this person has, then, then I would really be satisfied. And then many who end up being married, not all obviously, but many end up cheating on their spouses because they still believe in the lie that the thing that's missing in my life is the right type of relationship the right fulfillment or this type of fulfillment of the desires that I have. And if I just had, had that, then I would be okay. And we are oftentimes so willing to risk our, our families, to bring destruction into ourselves and to our families. Why? Because we believe that romance is the bread of life. We believe it is the thing that would truly, truly satisfy us. It makes me wonder if there are any now under the sound of my voice that are considering and fantasizing about relationships with someone that they are not married to because they still believe the lie. Their romance or sex is the bread of life. This is why so many people get so offended if you tell them that God has very specific, very universal boundaries around sexual relationships and sexuality in general. And so when you tell them that that's the truth, they believe you're trying to take joy away from them. They believe you're trying to tell them that they can never truly be content in life. Why? Because they believe that this is the bread of life. They believe this is the only chance of being content. So they reject Jesus because they believe the gift of romance is actually the bread of life. Some of us, we believe that sex is the, um, success, I should say, excuse me, is the bread of life. And because maybe we're not where we thought we'd be in life, or maybe we feel like we failed in some ways that we should have succeeded, and we, we believe we should have been more successful, and that's crushing to us. Because we believe it, we, our lives require a level of success in order for us to truly be content. And so for some of us, it's just continuing to put in more hours at the job, and more hours at the job, and less hours with our family, and more hours on the job. And even though we see it causing destruction, in us, sometimes it, it brings destruction to our health, it brings destruction to our relationships. We continue on because we believe that it is the bread of life. If I can just achieve this next thing. Well, for some of us, we're given to misery or despair because we feel like we haven't achieved or accomplished the things that we thought we would have accomplished by now. I just thought I'd be farther in my career. I just thought I would have more in my education at this point. I thought I would have accomplished more things at this point. So we despair because we believe that success is the bread of life. For some of us, it's respect. It's to be highly esteemed by others that we believe is the bread of life. So many of us as Christians, oftentimes, even though we're in small groups, we are suffering in silence and not getting the type of help that we could have. Why? Because we don't want people to think less of us. We don't want people to respect us less or esteem us less. Why? Because we believe that the, having their respect, having their affirmation, having them esteem us highly is the bread of life. So we're literally willing to suffer more pain, more hardship, more struggle, more sin in our lives and being open and honest about our weaknesses and about our sin so that we can actually receive help as the people of God encourage us in the Lord in the midst of our sin. But because we believe respect or approval are the bread of life, we do ourselves harm. We do our relationships harm. We do our marriages harm in silence because we believe we can only find contentment and true soul level joy if we have the respect and esteem of others. It is damaging when we don't see Jesus as the bread of life. Respect is not enough, it's not sufficient. Some of us, we believe comfort is the bread of life. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with pastors, not yours specifically, but I can't tell you the amount of times I've had conversations with pastors where their members are, are so, so desiring of, to, to add comfort to their lives that there are areas of ministry that need people to serve in them, but because we feel comfort is the bread of life, we try to rid ourselves of responsibilities, we try to rid ourselves of all commitments so that we can just try to make our lives as comfortable as possible, and, and God is saying, no, I can actually bring you comfort in uncomfortable situations if you would trust me, but we look to circumstantial comfort instead of the comforter because we believe comfort is the bread of life. And the church suffers. And our ability to join God in his mission suffers. And we don't live and act as the body of Christ as we were designed to because we don't see him as the bread of life. Nothing else is enough. Jesus says he is the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to him shall not hunger. Whoever believes in him shall never thirst. And just as we struggle to believe that, the people in Jesus' day that he was preaching to, when he says this, believe that as well. If you jump back to verse 25, Jesus says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of low. So make sure we're clear about what Jesus means when he talks about signs. So especially in the book of John, Jesus refers to his miracles as signs. A sign is something that's only effective to the degree that it points your mind and your attention onto something else that's greater than the actual sign itself. Right? That's what the sign is. You have a Riverside Community Church sign that's out there. It's not so people can say, hey, that's an amazing sign, but so that people can know about the church that's currently here. And Jesus is saying, you didn't come because you saw a sign you didn't come because you saw something that pointed you to who I actually am and wh- who I am to be for you and what I'm actually providing for you. You came because you wanted more food, Jesus is saying. He's saying you missed the sign because you wanted food. You come because you wanted another fish sandwich like the one I gave you yesterday. You know church people love a fish fry, right? <laughs> love a good fish fry. Some of the best outreaches we've done at Midtown Two Nights have been fish fry. <laughs> Let me get back on topic. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. This is what Jesus says in response. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for for on him the Father has set his seal. He's saying you're too caught up in the gift. You're missing the sign that it's about me. He said, I am the bread of life. You can tell when someone doesn't truly believe that Jesus is the bread of life because they're seeking Jesus primarily to get more from him instead of to get more of him. I'm going to say that again. You can tell when someone does not believe Jesus' claim in John 6, 35, that he is the bread of life, when they are seeking him primarily to get more from him instead of to get more of him. Are you quicker to seek his hand or quicker to seek his person, quicker to seek his heart? One way to spot this is by paying attention to how we respond when Jesus isn't giving us the thing that we want from him the most. This is one of the most exposing things that can happen to you in your life. And it is oftentimes a very gracious thing that God does to us to expose to us what's really going on in our hearts so that we actually know how to repent and how we need to turn to him. For example, there are some who have basically given up on following Jesus because Jesus hasn't given them the type of relationship that they want. God, I have been following you for 10 plus years now. I've done this ministry for you. I've done that for you. I've been faithful to you. And you gave this to them and you haven't given it to me. I'm out. 
Or maybe it's not a very abrupt, overt amount. Maybe it's just, oh, no, I'm just not doing, you know, the church thing like that anymore. Or I'm not, I don't really spend time in the Word anymore or spend time in prayer anymore because there's a disappointment that God didn't give us the thing that we wanted. And it goes to another level when you find yourself asking the question, well, what's the point in continuing to follow God if he's not going to give me this? Telltale sign. What's the point? The point is you get God. The point is you get God, who is way better than whatever other gift that we are desiring from him. And if we feel like what's the point in continuing to follow him, it shows that we really just saw him as a means to an end. We really just saw him as a genie that we could conjure up to give us whatever we desire. We didn't want a God. We wanted a gift more than we wanted a God. And it's exposing us at times when he isn't giving us what we're seeking him for. We've created a Christianity where God is supposed to give us what we want if we behave and do a lot of good stuff. This is not the gospel of Jesus We've reduced the bread of life down to our own personal genie that's useless to us if he doesn't give what we want the most. I'd say in our culture today, many who are not aggressively against Jesus see him primarily as someone who gets them what they want and not primarily as the one who is what they want. The truth is Jesus did not not come into the world primarily to give bread, but primarily to be bread. He did not come into the world primarily to give you all the things in this world that you want, but rather to be the thing that you want more than anything else in this world. And him coming to be bread and not just give bread, this should affect the way that we view him, but it also should affect the way we think about ministry as well. And Jesus gives his disciples, I believe, two lessons at the beginning of this chapter in chapter 6. So we're going to jump back to, to verse 1. He's going to give them lessons about how they are to minister to others that I, that I believe we'll be able to draw some practical applications from as well. Let's start at verse 1. Familiar story. John 6, 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus knows what's about to go on, but he asked his disciples, hey, how are we going to give food to all these people? Right, you have all these people who are hungry. It seems as if Jesus is a little long-winded, which, by the way, should at least suggest to us, have a little grace for a long-winded pastor. Amen? A little grace for a long-winded pastor. Jesus has been preaching for a while. The people following him. The people are hungry. And Jesus is about to teach his disciples. We see in verse 6, he said this to test him. Tests are oftentimes given by teachers, and Jesus is about to give a lesson to his disciples. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. That's the dilemma right here. So you've got 5,000 plus people that are currently here. He's saying 200 denarii wouldn't even be enough. A denarii is about a day's wage. So he's saying about 200 days wages wouldn't be enough for all these people. Jesus, how are we going to be able to give them enough food for all of these hungry people? Continue on verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? He's like, listen, we got a little bit, but it's not going to be enough, Jesus. What we have is not enough. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down, and Jesus is about to educate them. (laughs) Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given given thanks, excuse me, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Verse 12 said, when they had eaten their fill, everyone ate their fill. It's extremely important. Everyone was satisfied. Jesus gets the bread, distributes it to everyone. It was broken. We know this because they gathered up the leftover fragments. Everyone eats. Everyone has enough. Here's the lesson. If you connect that with what we already read, you can see that he is teaching his disciples something about ministry. He's teaching them something about what their job is as his followers. No matter who, no matter how many people you find yourself ministering to, they all have this hunger in their souls. They all have this craving. And you, in and of yourself, you don't have enough to give to them. What you have in and of yourself is not enough. But Jesus says, I am enough. That's the lesson. The bread, when it is broken, it is enough. The bread of life, it is enough. The question, the dilemma was, how are we going to have enough for all these people? We can go and try and buy it, but we probably don't have enough money for that. We got a few loaves over here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The bread of life is always enough. It is always enough enough. The person in your life that you want to come to know Jesus, if you are depending on yourself to give them something that's going to satisfy them, that's going to be enough, that will never be enough. Give them Jesus. Give them the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus. It is always, always, always enough. By breaking the bread and feeding everyone with it until they were full, he's saying, I am the bread of life. Everyone needs, everyone's hunger is truly satisfied in him. This is what everyone needs. From the businesswoman who's the CEO of her company to the single mom working two minimum wage jobs, they all need the same thing. The eight-year-old boy that won't listen to a word you say to the older gentleman who's retired from his career, they all need the same thing. I don't care if they're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, tall, short, old, or young. No matter how they look on the outside, on the inside, they have the same craving, the same hunger, the same thirst. There's only one bread of life. It's Jesus himself. He is enough. That's the lesson. Jesus is enough. Christians in the room, everyone that you know, the people you go to work with, the people you go to school with, the people you live with, the people you pray with, the people you eat with, the people you're related to, the people you love, the people that you don't feel like there's any way in the world that they can be saved because of the things they've said to you about God, Jesus says, I am enough for them too. This is one of the most encouraging truths for anyone who desires to live as an ambassador of Christ that Jesus is always, always enough, that it does not rest on me, but it rests on him to be enough for them. They all need to be fed the message of our crucified Savior. They need to know about his righteousness. Their soul needs to know about his righteousness, that he always lived in perfect love towards the Father and perfect love towards people. They need to know about the love that he displayed when he died on the cross. Their souls need to know about his love, that even for his enemies he would die that they might be saved. They need to know about his faithfulness. 
that he stayed on the cross and was condemned in our place for hours, and he could have gotten down at any moment, but he refused to abandon his people because he is faithful. They need to know about his compassion, that he is always near, and he always hears the cries of our hurting and our suffering. His heart breaks along with us. They need to know, their souls need to know about his forgiveness, that no matter how much they sin, no matter how many things that they have done wrong, his shed blood is enough that they might be saved from the penalty of their sins, and they need to know about his, his miraculous victory and power, that he didn't stay dead, but he got out of the grave with all power in his hands, defeating sin, defeating death, for the people of God can be with him forever. They need the bread of life. It's enough. Money can't do for their souls what that can do for their souls. A relationship with anyone else cannot satisfy their soul deeply in the same way they need him. He is the bread of life. Sharing this message with those we come in contact with is what we do because we believe with faith that he is the bread of life. He is what everyone wants, whether they know it or not, and he is definitely what we all need as well. There's a second lesson that he teaches. Let's continue verse 12. And when they had eaten their field, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. This is not a quick question. Anyone can respond. How many disciples did Jesus have as far as? Twelve. Thank you. Twelve disciples. Keep reading verse 13. That's important. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. He has 12 disciples. He sends his disciples to be the one to gather up the fragments of leftover bread. There's 12 baskets. Every one of them has a basket filled up, 12 baskets with fragments. I believe there's a reason that John puts this in his gospel. And I believe the reason that he says this is to make sure that everyone who is an ambassador of Jesus, everyone who gives their life to sharing the good news of Christ with other people need to remember that Jesus, the bread of life, is enough for those that you are ministering to and he is enough for you too. He says to those who are distributing the food to the people and gathering the baskets left over, the 12 disciples, they each leave with their own basket. Jesus saying, you don't just give me out to other people. You need to feed yourself too. You don't just share the bread of life with other people. You need to feed on the bread of life yourself as well. He says, I am the bread of life. It's very easy to, I've done this so many times as I started in ministry leadership or, or just maybe it's leading the Bible set or whatever it is, beginning to believe that other people need Jesus more than I do. Begin to focus more on the growth of others than I focus on my own growth. I'll be being very focused and driven in, in the desire to encourage others in the Lord where my personal spiritual disciplines tend to take a back seat. Jesus is reminding us that he is the bread of life, and we need him too. And may we never get to a place where we are more focused on others knowing him than we are focused on ourselves knowing him. The bread of life is enough for everyone that you share Jesus with, and it is enough for you too. Small group leaders, I hope you know that, you will, that there will never be a single person that walks into your small group meeting that needs Jesus more than you do. There will never be anybody that needs him more than you do. To our children's discipleship volunteers in here, I hope you know that the children that come in, they need to know about Jesus. They don't need him more than you do. They don't need him more than you do. Feed on the bread of life. For all Christians, we are the very definition of a hypocrite. If we proclaim to others that Jesus is better than everything else, he's truly the bread of life, but we put no time, no, no effort, no, no purpose no energy, no, no initiative around us developing spiritual health through spiritual disciplines 
of our own? Are you encouraging others to spend time reading and meditating on God's word while you never seek to make time for it yourself? Are you working to see others know Christ more while you're lackadaisical about your own growth? Christian, you are never so mature that you no longer need to feed on the bread of life yourself. If anything, the more mature we become, the more we realize that I need it all the time. I need the bread of life more than I ever thought that I needed the bread of life. I need to know Jesus and trust in him and hope in him more than I ever thought that I needed to do so. That's what Christian maturity looks like. It's an understanding of the hunger. It's an understanding of the neediness that we have, that our souls long for him. I want to share with you a passage as we try to land the plane here of a scripture that I heard a brother preach on that really challenged and convicted me in this area, a passage that the Lord used to renew my mind and understanding what it really meant to love, what it really means to love him. It's in Psalm 73. The author of Psalm 73 finds himself in a place that many of us likely can relate to. He's observing people who he refers to as the wicked, those who do not know God, those who do not follow God, those who who are evil, who are harmful to others, and he's seeing the ways that they are prospering from a material standpoint. He's seeing that they have all these things. He begins to get jealous, and it seems he even gets angry or upset with God. God, how can you be giving them all these things that I've wanted when I'm the one that's been faithful? I'm the one that's been following you. He begins towards the end of the chapter to find resolution and remember the goodness of God. Let's pick up in verse 24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So the author is showing that God is the guide in this life, and he will receive us and get us home to him in heaven in the next life. Continue in verse 25. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That term portion, your, your portion is, when you talk about your portion, you're talking about what is enough for you. He's saying, but God is my portion forever. God is enough for me forever in this life and on into the next life. God is my portion. God is enough for me. He's saying God is my strength and God is enough. And verse 25 is the one that messed me up in this, in this chapter. Because after he's talking about how God is our God in this life and he receives us into the next life, he asks this rhetorical question, whom have I in heaven but you? He's saying, you're the one I truly desire, whether it's on earth or in heaven, you're it. You're the one that I desire. what, What else is there for me? What else could actually be of great benefit to me other than you? John Piper has this quote talking about this passage specifically that I just want to read to us. He says, would you be satisfied to go to heaven? Have everybody there in your family that you want there. Have all the health and restoration of your prime and everything you dislike about yourself fixed. Have every recreation you've ever dreamed of available to you and have infinite resources of money to spend. Would you be satisfied if God weren't there? He asked. If you got to heaven, your suffering was gone. Your scars were gone. Your wounds were gone. Your body was everything that you wanted it to be. You had endless resources to acquire whatever that you wanted to acquire. You could have as much fun as you wanted to have. If God was not there, would you feel like, hey, I made it. I actually got what I wanted. Or did you feel like, hey, I'm getting cheated here. I'm getting cheated because I'm not getting what I actually came for. I'm not getting what I actually got into this thing for because I got into this for God, not for all these other things. Or to ask it another way. If you got to heaven and God was there, but it wasn't as, as, it wasn't as easy of a life as you expected. 
If you got there and there were more challenges and everything that you desired and wanted from God, maybe it wasn't there the way that you wanted to be there. If you got there and that was the case, would you feel like you got everything you came for because you got God? Or would you feel like you were cheated? Would you feel like you didn't get what you signed up for? Would you feel satisfied or would you feel cheated? Would you feel like you made it, you arrived, and you got what you were hoping for? Or would you be like, wait a minute, I signed up to get God and not just this stuff? Are you after something far greater than temporary pleasures in this life? I hope you are. You see, the Christian that knows that Jesus is the bread of life knows that heaven isn't heaven if God isn't there. The Christian that knows that Jesus is the bread of life confesses with this psalmist, who, am I, who have I in heaven but you? You're all I want in heaven. You're my greatest desire. You're my chief desire. The Christian that knows that Jesus is the bread of life doesn't do spiritual disciplines or, or things like showing up to a worship gathering like this one or reading the Bible or praying to him just to try to get things from him, but we do it to get more of him. Oh, that we would be satisfied in his love and in his grace. That the Holy Spirit will remind us daily, no matter what I feel like my cravings are after today, what I truly want is God. What will truly satisfy me is God, is more of him. One of the things I notice about my own spiritual life pretty consistently is the more consistent I am spending time in the very word of God, the more joy I just possess, regardless of the circumstances in my life. I just find so much more joy, so much more hope, so much more peace. Why? Because he's the bread. He is the bread of life. And if I sacrifice that time in pursuit of other things in this life, I never attain the level of joy and peace and contentment that I desire to have. He is bread. He satisfies. I want to encourage some of us, maybe your step right now is to just pray to God and just repent. God, I've been running after all these other things. I haven't believed that you're truly the bread of life. Maybe that's the next step for you. And just ask him to help you continue to see him as the bread of life. Ask him to help you be more consistent meditating on his word and spending time in prayer and doing things like fasting and continuing to seek him. Ask him to give you a burning desire every single day that is new every morning to seek him and follow him and to see him as the bread of life who is always, always enough. Let me pray for us, family. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to be bread. Father, give us right vision. Help us to see this thing correctly. The enemy would deceive us with all of his, his lies and all of his deceits to get us to think that all these other things are truly the bread of life, would truly satisfy us, would truly be what we need. Help us to see past all those lies, all of the deception. Make us a people who continuously go to you to seek you in your word, to seek you in prayer, to commune with you ongoingly at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, throughout the day. Help us to remember, Father, that whatever finishes the sentence for us, for what we believe would satisfy us, help us to remember that those things are temporary, that they're great to enjoy, but they don't compare to knowing you. They don't even compare to knowing you. Help us to see this. Help us to remember this. Help us to believe this. Holy Spirit, we ask that you do this work in our hearts. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. We need your strength. Draw us to repentance. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.